Welcome to K2, whether you're here in person or online. Glad to have you. And I just want to say, I'm actually super excited. I don't know about you guys, but man, this, this is kind of cool. Like it's putting our church in this place where I think we have an opportunity because the church has never been about a building. I, I don't know about you. I, I, I got to get a chance to go preach in Zimbabwe in 2010. I got to go to several churches. And there's one church that I preached at. It was this patched together tin roof. And it was held up by branches that were wired together. And I would stand under it. And I'm pretty tall, but my, my head was touching the top. And these people were excited to be there. Where, where were they? Uh, they weren't anywhere, right? They were, they were like under a thing that kept them out of the sun and the rain, but they were the church, and God was building them. And so today, we're really going to be talking about how God is here to build a people. He never came to build a facility. He came to build up a group of people. And the, the cool thing about this is that we have an opportunity here that maybe we've we haven't had in a long time as a church. And just as I look around, I see God at work. Like, not only yesterday. I mean, there's a guy over here, Jonathan. He, he told me, like, man, I, I was here yesterday. This isn't just a church. This is a community of Christians, like, coming together. Like, he, he was pretty stoked this morning. It, was, it made me excited. And, and I see that, like, God is actually not only bringing us together, like, around the uh, like the future and the vision, but like God, I, I, as a staff, like I, I feel like our staff is more unified than ever. Not that we've ever been like at each other's throats. It's just like we're all on the same page. And as a, as a church, we have this vision of making disciples that's just so in line with what God is up to. And, and I just am stoked about what God can do with our church moving forward. And, and last week, Dave opened this series about how we're all about Jesus and he asked the question, is Jesus enough? And the exciting thing about this too is that we get to actually answer that question as we take this next step as a church. Is Jesus really going to be enough? Because if he wants to, if we make him enough, like he will actually build us up. That's the exciting thing is that Jesus never said, you have to build my church. He didn't ever say that. But what he did say is he said, I will build my church that's the promise that Jesus made to us. And we, if we make Jesus enough, we just get to live in that promise. Like that he will actually do all the work for us to build this church. And so today as I head into the message for today, I actually just want to start in this exact verse that Dave ended in last week, which is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. And it says this, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Okay, I don't know if you caught this, but we're given the vision for Christ's church right here. It says that the church is the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. That is what it's supposed to be, right? And the reason I keep saying, like, we have an opportunity for what God can do moving forward is because, I don't know about you, but 
when I come to church, I don't always feel the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. You, you might feel that every week. But we're standing here and going, how do we actually become a church that becomes the fullness of him who fills everything in every way? And all I got to say is, we got to go back to last week's sermon and say, are we really willing to take a step to make Jesus enough? That's the question that we have to ask ourselves. But even as a church, as a community, I think this is a question worth asking. Are, are we willing to take a step of faith to make Jesus enough so that we as a church can become the fullness of him who fills everything in every way? Are you guys with, with it? Yeah. You ready to go? Like, who, I mean, this is a grander vision than, I, th- I think, just putting on a Sunday morning service, right? Like, the, just, just catch this. Who feels empty today? Who, who feels like they could use more fullness in their life, more, more vibrance in their life? Well, it says the church is supposed to be the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Can you imagine coming together as a community and actually experiencing life to the full? Because you've got people around you who are investing in you, who are encouraging you, who are building you up, and who are actually setting you out with mission and purpose. Who, who doesn't want that? Like, Man, God can do something powerful in this time. Are you guys with me? Yeah. Okay. So disruption, for many of us, seems like a problem. But I, I think disruption is actually an opportunity. An opportunity for God to take us and make us into a church of greater capacity. Because what it does is it actually allows us to focus. Instead of focusing on a place... God wants us to focus on the people, okay? When Jesus came to the earth, he didn't come to build a place. Jesus came to build a people. And so if we want to see the church of Christ actually be the fullness of him who fills everything in every way, we have to make him the head. That's what this scripture says. It says that if he's the head, if we make this all about Jesus, then he will build his church, it'll actually become the fullness of him who builds everything in every way. So here's what we're going today, where we're going. I'm going to talk about three things. If we have the values of Jesus, if we actually value what Jesus valued, and then we model what Jesus modeled, then we will get the results that Jesus promised, okay? If we value the things that Jesus valued, we model the things that Jesus modeled, we will get the results that Jesus promised. That's where we're going today. So we should be asking as a church right now, what does a church that's the fullness of him who fills everything in every way look like? We should be asking that question. Well, where do we look to try to figure out where a church like that is? Well, I think the only real place that we can look is in the word of God, because if we look to our culture or what other churches are doing, I think we get our focus off of Jesus, right? It's like, he says, we, we want to be a church that's all about Jesus. And Hebrews says that he's the pioneer and perfecter of faith. So actually focus our attention on him. So that's what we're going to do as a church. Instead of looking around and seeing what we should do, what's the, what's the latest strategy for church growth? Let's look at Jesus' strategy for church growth. Now, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4 to really get into that. But before we get there, I want to talk about valuing what Jesus valued. And in order to really highlight that, I want to look at Jesus's 
ministry. And so we're going to first go to Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 and 36. Matthew 9 says this, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Okay, this, this verse says that crowds were coming to hear Jesus. And that, that's, that's good because he was the greatest teacher. And it also says that he came to do miracles. So Dave, if you want to add miracles into your resume, I mean, we're just going to keep drawing huge crowds, right? So Jesus had thousands of people coming. It says multitudes. That's another way you could translate that, that verse. We're coming. We know from other parts of the scriptures, 4,000, sometimes 5,000 people, the, the feeding of the 4,000, 5,000, they came to hear Jesus teach, not to have Jesus feed them. That just came out of the necessity of the fact that they were there so long listening. So are building crowds, this crowds gathering a bad thing? No, it's not a bad thing. Jesus had crowds. But what did Jesus see when he looked out at the crowds? It says Jesus looked out at the crowds of the people and he had compassion on them. Well, what does that word really mean? It, it actually means that his, his, his stomach was like wrenched. He was brokenhearted is what that actually means. Jesus looked out at crowds and he was brokenhearted. Now, what do we see when we look at crowds? I've been in this specific facility when it was packed on an Easter. And man, it's exciting. Like there's energy surrounding crowds. And, and I think, you know, when we look at church and there's big crowds coming, we're like, oh, that church is successful. That church is on fire. They've got great preaching. They've got great music. We look and we say, crowds equals success. And Jesus looked out and he saw the crowds and he said, man, I'm kind of sad. Because they're harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. So when Jesus looked out at the crowds, he didn't see the crowds, he didn't look at the energy. What he saw is he saw people. He saw individuals. He looked out at the crowds and he saw where people were struggling specifically. And so if we want to value the things that Jesus values as a church, we can't measure the main thing that most churches measure, which is just numbers, right? That's our measuring rod for success. When you go to pastor's conferences, they ask you, how big is your church? That's how you get the measuring stick out, right? It's, that's, that's not the right measuring stick, at least according to Jesus. We, we can't make that our main metric for success. When Jesus looked around, he saw success as if people were actually growing, if they were actually walking towards new life, if they were actually experiencing fullness, I, I just imagine like Jesus' metrics would be like, are they engaging with God? Are they experiencing freedom and less fear? And that, and that looks like, you know, their mental health being better and, and stronger families, less divorce, less addiction, less unemployment. Really, people living out their design, their identity, and having purpose. Who doesn't want more of that? Like, that's what Jesus saw as success. Like, how do we get people from being harassed and helpless to a point where they're living life and life to the full? So if we're going to value what Jesus valued, Jesus had one value. He had one value when it came to building his church, and that's people. It's the one value. 
We have to value that same value and care about people first. There's nothing that Jesus desires more than to be able to be with you. Did you know that you are his most prized creation? That he loves you and he wants you to live life to the full. He wants you to be free from whatever is holding you back. That's what Jesus saw when he looked at the crowd. He saw you. He saw me. He saw us. Not, not multiple faces, individual faces. How many of you have felt harassed and helpless? Like a sheep without a shepherd. I think we can all associate with that, right? Well, I know for me, like, when Jesus really called me, I, I, I felt that tug when I felt Jesus' voice for the first time speaking into my life. I was going into college, and I was a good kid. I, I liked to, I, I never got in, in much trouble. I liked to please my parents and the people around me, and, and I, I was in church. But man, Jesus called me out, and it wrecked all that, actually, because I was going for the world path of success. I mean, my parents, they wanted me to go out, and they wanted me to make money and be successful and do things. And I felt like God was saying, nah, it isn't about all that. Go and invest in things that are eternal. And then when I told my parents, I'm dropping out of college, and I'm enrolling in Bible college, because... The only two things that I can think of that are eternal are God's people and God's word. And I'm going to put my whole life into those two things. They said, no, you shouldn't do that. (laughs) And my parents are good Christian people that have been in church their whole life and they love the Lord. But they said, no, you shouldn't do that. (laughs) Because they wanted somebody to go out and further the mission of Jesus, but they didn't want their son to go out and do it. And that was a struggle for me because all I wanted to do when I was growing up is please my parents and my family. And, and then they're saying, no, nah, we don't support what you're doing. And I was sitting there going, okay, what am I going to do then? Like, am I going to follow Jesus? And is he going to be enough? Or am I going to go back to my old way? It felt kind of like when Jesus called Peter out onto the water. <laughs> right? And he's like, come, come out here. And, and, and Peter started to walk out, right? He ended up starting to fall, but that's not the, the point. There's this invitation that each one of us has. When we follow Jesus, I'm telling you what, it doesn't only disrupt where we're going to move in our church building. It will disrupt your life. <laughs> but I'm telling you what, it's the greatest opportunity you could ever have to live life to the full. And so if you're out there today and you're going, hey, I don't know this Jesus, but I'm interested in living life to the full. I just want you to consider that invitation. Same sort of invitation. If you feel like you're harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd, I just want to say the invitation is still good today. Jesus wants you to come and follow him. Because his ways always lead to life. But here's the deal. When I felt like my whole support system had abandoned me, when I had a way, had, was heading away that I thought everybody would support me in, I needed somebody else around me. It's not just like I abandoned all people and walked on. Like I had this guy named Marty Solomon. He was my youth minister at the time. And he came to him and I just said, 
man, this is what I feel like God is doing. And when everybody else was discouraging me from walking this path, he was able to walk with me through the struggles, which was pretty cool. And I'm still appreciative of Marty for that today. But here's Jesus' remedy. It's the same sort of thing. He says that they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, which would imply that each one of us need a shepherd. <laughs> right? And that's what Marty did for me in that, that, that span of time when it felt like everybody had walked away from me. He was able to be my shepherd and walk alongside of me. It's like every one of us need this, like a personal pastor. It's like they needed this crowd that he looked around and was harassed and helpless. It's like they needed Jesus on their speed dial. But here's the thing is even though Jesus is called the good shepherd, none of us will ever measure up to his standard of walking with people. He didn't consider that to be enough, actually. Jesus himself was here on earth walking with people, and he says, we need more shepherds. I mean, and I'm not just inferring that, because the next verse, the very next verse, not a few later, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 37, he says, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus' goal for building his church has always been to build people. How do you do that? We need more shepherds. Jesus says, pray for workers in the harvest. Because I didn't come to build facilities. And I didn't come just to build crowds. I came to build people. Because I want to see people actually live to their fullest. And that can't happen unless there's others walking alongside them, showing them my path. That's Jesus' plan for building his people. So let's say you build, bring a friend to church. Okay? Don't expect Dave to be their shepherd, to be their pastor. Yeah, he's the lead pastor of the church. But guess who's their personal pastor? You. It's you. You, you prayed, or maybe I prayed, or maybe somebody else prayed, and the Lord provided. It's you. <laughs> we need more workers in the harvest. He provided. You're the worker in the harvest. Do you feel adequate to be a pastor? Probably not. <laughs> Do you still struggle with sin in your life? Probably. Does that mean you cannot be a shepherd walking with somebody? No. Jesus never says that, right? Because he says through his apostle, the apostle Paul, his power is made perfect in our weakness, actually. It's, it's when we actually are saying, man, I, I, have to, I keep... I keep needing to rely on Jesus, too. I have to make it all about Jesus. I have to ask every day whether he's enough. That's actually encouraging to other people who are having to walk with us, right? You don't have to always be strong. That actually doesn't help people. Do you know that? We just need to walk with them. We don't need to save them. Jesus does that. <clears throat> so what do we learn from this story? Well, we learn that Jesus actually needed help caring for his flock. 
Isn't that crazy? Jesus needed help. He's calling us to help him even now, right? So if Jesus values people, that's his main value, then like, what's the model that will actually get us to that point? Because there's all sorts of church growth models, right? In fact, there's some wacky ones out there. Like I worked under a pastor who had uh, five, five elements for church growth. He said, first, you need comfy seats, okay? Okay, you need good coffee. Who's, I mean, none of these are bad, right? Good, I like good coffee. You need two-ply toilet paper, okay? The good stuff. And then, you know, talking about the bathroom, hand soap that smells good, and then pens that write well when you're trying to fill out your cards, you know? That, those are his, you know, and he's, he, he said, you know, the, you have to have those things because if you care about the little things, then it'll show that you care about the big things. And it's like, but what are all those focused on? All those are focused on a building and building a crowd, right? And what does Jesus actually want to build? His church, which is his people. He wants to build the people. So our priorities actually have to look different if we're going to build his people. So what are the priorities that actually build up the type of church that builds up people? Well, let's look in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, and we'll see what that looks like. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers, to equip his people for works of service. So the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Do you hear that again? Attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. He's reiterating what the original vision was in chapter 1. That's what he wants the church to look like. Well, how do we get there? Well, he said, I've given some pastors, evangelists, you know, teachers, prophets, all these different positions in the church. So just imagine for, for now, there's a lot that actually, I actually believe that Jesus is trying to build each and every one of us into one of those positions. And so if you want to go on to our gifts, passions, and story assessment, k2thechurch.com slash GPS, you can take the assessment and check out what God's gifted you in. But I don't have time to talk about that right now. Uh, because we got to talk about the model, the structure. Just imagine that those positions are actually the leaders of the church. Those are the pastors of the church. And so in Jesus' model for church growth, which remember isn't about building a building, in Jesus' model for church growth, he actually says, Dave Nelson, Dave Nelson isn't your you know, lead pastor. He's your lead equipper. That's his job, right? That's his role. And all the staff, they're not the ministers, right? The, the staff, the staff are actually just part of equipping the team too. And all of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus are those who have been entrusted with the ministry. That's what this verse is saying. So pastors equip and people shepherd. That's what it's saying. And if you've read uh, another part of Paul's teachings in 2 Corinthians 5.11, he says, if you're, part, if you're a new creation, how many of you who are in Christ consider yourself a new creation? Who's with me? Yeah. It's, he says, that, okay, then if you're a new creation, you have to consider yourself part of the ministry of reconciliation. You can't have one without the other. He doesn't, he doesn't allow you to not be part of it. 
You're in full-time ministry. Do you know that? Doesn't matter what you do. Doesn't matter your title. Pastors equip people shepherd. That's the model of how Christ came to build his church. And if we want the, the world to experience the fullness of him who fills everything in every way, we have to work in that model. Now, who's in charge? The pastor? Dave? Yes, Jesus. He's the head. A person can never unify the body. And guess what this, this passage said? It actually says, to get to the place where we have the fullness of him who fills everything in every way, you have to have two things, unity and maturity. Unity and maturity. Not any one of us are going to unify all of us. Only Jesus can do that. You know that? We have to make him the head. We have to make this all about Jesus. And you know, for the past 20 years, churches have fallen into this whole pattern of trying to grow the crowd and to grow the buildings more than ever, and people are running away from it. <laughs> you know, individual churches are growing, but you know what church attendance looks like nationwide? We went from 1998, 70% of people were in church, to today, the new, new survey came out with a new... new uh, what do they call it? Their survey to call us how many people live. The census. There's the word. I, I get paid to speak. Um, 47% of people go to church. Just a little over 20 years later. 25. Wow. Jesus, though, has the power to move a crowd of spectators towards a unified and mature people. That's what he came to do. So what does that look like? Well, we know that Jesus didn't just command us to build a building, um, but he did command us. He didn't even command us to build a church, right? He says, I'll do that, right? But he did command us to make disciples. And as a church, that's why a year ago we decided to add into our vision statement this Line to be a church that makes disciples with reckless faith and sacrificial love and care for those in need with an invitation to, to bring people into the body, right? This is, this is part of our vision statement to make disciples. And it's Jesus' solution because what it does is it actually moves us towards investing in people because making disciples is just being the shepherd to an individual, what you're doing is you're walking with them. Because what a disciple is, is somebody who's following Christ. We, we know this from Matthew 4.19. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Disciple is somebody who follows Christ, is being made and transformed into the image of Christ. And then on mission with Christ, I will make you fishers of men, right? So it's actually just walking with somebody on the path to them Becoming a disciple of Jesus themselves. That's what that looks like. So you become the personal shepherd. Now, my youth group that I grew up in, that I ended up feeling called a ministry in, I'm the only one that still goes to church. Actually, none of, the, none of the kids that graduated with me stayed in church through college. They've all left the faith, which is really discouraging. But, you know, when I was in college, in Bible college, uh, Marty, he, he encouraged me to actually invest into 12-year-olds, 
They're just going into middle school. Their, their names are Carl and Eric. <laughs> and man, I didn't, feel, I didn't feel like I could actually, even though they were just, you know, kids and I was in Bible college, like I didn't feel equipped at that time to like walk with them and to teach them to follow Jesus. But I walked with them for a year and we just talked about what God was teaching us. And I'm not saying this was all on me or anything, but it's just like, man, they're actually walking with Jesus, <laughs> which is encouraging after I grew up with a bunch of people who walked away from Jesus. They're, they're not only just walking with Jesus. Eric did, he, he was a staffer with YWAM, and they both have great marriages, and they both are starting to build families. And it's just cool to see, like, this actually works. They, all they needed was a shepherd. Like, they just needed a personal pastor, somebody to walk with them. And if we do that, we can actually expect the outcomes of Jesus. Ephesians 4, 14 through 16, the end of this passage say this, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves. That's interesting. That sounds a lot like harassed and helpless, right? (laughs) Tossed back and forth. We'll no longer be that way, uh, blown here and there by every teaching and the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined together, held by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Amen. Thank you. You know, this is what Jesus actually wants to do. And Jesus wants to build us up. It talks about a body, right? Every supporting ligament. And, and when we come to church, and if we want to grow to become strong, you can't just come and eat the meal plan and expect to become strong. You got to do the workouts to go with the meal plan. You'll still be weak if you just eat good food, right? You gotta, if you want to be strong, you actually got to put in the work. And what this says is that we actually grow when we take part in doing the work. Don't expect to become fully mature if you're not fully engaged in the ministry that God has called you to. Because it's through actually walking with other people that Christ matures us into his image. That's how we become fully mature, by helping shepherd somebody else. That we, that's, that's actually incorporating the lifting regiment into our spiritual routine. Walking with other people, making disciples, taking their growth personal, and, and, and seeing Jesus actually come alive in their life. What else wouldn't fill you up with life? Like seeing people actually come to their fullness as they experience the fullness of Jesus. That's a cool thing, huh? I know some of you have experienced that, and it's the coolest thing. Yeah, and you got to make it personal. It says speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love, I can speak in truth from a loving disposition from stage, but actually speaking the truth in love happens in interpersonal connection, right? So this happens in small communities. And you know what? If we want, just talking from my own story, I was thinking about how 80% still, 80% of the church, of of Christian kids who grow up in the church walk away from the faith 
It's not, it's not right. It's not good. But you know what? We, just, we expect them to come and be part of the show. <laughs> we come and expect them just to, to listen and to grow. And that's not Jesus' model for growing his church. Because Jesus wants to grow people. And the way he does that is through actually getting them involved and walking with other people and discipling them. Yeah, I mean, if you want your kids to grow up to know Christ, teach them. You're, you're, first of all, you're their shepherd. <laughs> Jesus opted you in for that. You're their pastor. Uh, that's the first step. The second step is encourage them to, to invest in somebody else, a younger kid than, than themselves after they come to Christ. Because, man, that's, that's the pathway to actually life within the church. Life in the church isn't just coming and consuming. Life in the church comes when we actually get to interact and be a body and be unified. That is how Jesus brings us together. That is how he builds his church. People will engage if we equip them to disciple. They're no longer, he says, no longer be blown and tossed by the wind and waves and every teaching. You're worried about sending your kids to college? There you go. <laughs> Equip them to disciple. If we want to experience the fullness of him who feels everything in every way, we have to value the things that Jesus values, which is people. And we have to model the things that Jesus modeled, which is just equipping the saints to actually go out and do the works of service. He walked with 12 people for three years and sent them out to do the same thing. If we do that as a church, Jesus will build us up. We don't have to worry about where we're going to be. We don't have to worry about what we're going to do. And so I just want to ask you two things today to, to really be considering. The two commands that I believe Jesus gives us as a church, he says, pray for workers. Uh, Dave Elsog, he's been part of this church for a long, long time, um, he got me to do this, uh, I think it was a Loving Utah thing, 9.38 a.m. every day, set an alarm to pray. <laughs> that, that's Matthew 9.38, he says, pray for workers in the harvest. So grab out your phone, tell Siri, set an alarm for 9.38 a.m. to pray for workers. We need to be praying for that. And if you are fasting with us, we've been fasting every Monday, add prayer for workers in the harvest field. We want to pray for building our church. Pray for that first. And then this, ask God to put someone in your life to invest in. If you've been walking with Jesus for a while, I promise you, you can help somebody else walk with Jesus. You may not feel like you're ready, but you're ready. I promise you. So those two things. And we get to celebrate all this um, today by taking communion actually. And what I want to talk about is Jesus doesn't just say he's the shepherd. Um, Jesus actually became the lamb as well. I I've been reading Revelation, and Revelation chapter 5 has inspired me because there's this, this passage where there's this scroll, and nobody can open the scroll, and John is weeping because nobody can open the scroll, and then it says the Lion of Judah steps onto the scene, and you're like, that sounds powerful, the Lion of Judah steps on the scene, and it says, he's a slain lamb, but he can open the scroll. I just want to say that Jesus' path is always laying down his life. 
But in that process of laying down his life, he's able to open doors that we can't open. If we want to actually follow the walk the path of Jesus, he calls us into that same path. He wants us to remember his path to life sometimes looks like a path towards death. And if you're sitting out there and you're worried that we're leaving a facility, it's all right. Death always leads to life. Leaving this building is not a big deal. Jesus will provide if he's enough. So we get the challenge today to believe that. Jesus, the Passover meal, took the bread. This is the night before he was betrayed. He said, this is my body. I'm giving it for you. Remember, he wants us to live fullness. He wants the church to be the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So let's remember that that starts with him. He fills us up with his life. Let's take it needed. The same way he took the cup. He said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. I, I want to do something new with you guys. I want to restore the whole world. I want to bring fullness willing to lay down my life. I'm willing to give up everything for that. Let's remember his sacrifice, his love for us. Lord, we're just grateful for your son who loved us so much. Lord, he wanted us to show us the way so much he's willing to lay down his life. Lord, he loved us. Lord, he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Thank you, God. Thank you for giving up your son so that we can experience your life, your love, and your freedom. Lord, we lift this day to you. Name Jesus Christ. Amen.